This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time or you don't pay. Terms and conditions may apply. Independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. Hi, I'm Renee Summer, our digital news anchor here at 7 at 7. Watch our streaming nonstop newscast immediately with your mobile phone. 7 at 7 is the new way for you to get every bit of local news you need in just seven minutes. Breaking news, local neighborhood news, weather, and sports are just a click away. Reporters bring you all of what's happening in the Valley. From Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, YouTube, and more. Get every bit of local news you need from the RJ and LVRJ.com. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about playoff hockey. And oh boy, do we have playoff games to talk about. We're going to be breaking down the first two games of the Golden Knights and Minnesota Wilds first round playoff series. I'm very excited to do that. I, of course, am Ben Goetz, one of your review journal Golden Knights beat writers. Joining me on the other line is my colleague, Dave Shane. Dave. How's it hanging, man? Good. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to Minnesota in late May. I don't know that I've ever experienced it. I'm trying to think. It'll be nice. I don't think the mosquitoes are out yet, and it's not going to be freezing. So looking forward to it. I'm kind of uh, kind of amped. Yeah, me too. I think it's going to be quite lovely. We'll get to experience that tomorrow because the two of us are recording a late night on Tuesday after we uh, attended Game 2 of this playoff series, which the Golden Knights, of course, won 3-1 to one, to even the series up at one game apiece of the game one on Sunday. The Wild beat the Golden Knights 1-0 in overtime. Uh, it's been a thrilling series, to say the least. Not a lot of goals, but a lot of action and a lot of tense moments on both sides. And now, of course, it is a best of five the next two games will be coming up on Thursday and Saturday at XL Energy Center in St. Paul, Minnesota. That, of course, is the building the Golden Knights have never won in regulation at, so it'll be really interesting to see how they fare out there. But, you know, overall, Dave, this series is 1-1 through two games. I don't think that's completely unexpected with uh, how tight these two teams play each other and how much uh, trouble the Wild have given the Golden Knights in the past. But, you know, overall, in the, uh, you know, 120-plus minutes of hockey we've seen so far, uh, what are some of your kind of, I guess, major takeaways from this series? Is there anything that 
is playing out to expectations for you or anything that's really not? I mean, I would say it's for the most part expect close to expectations in terms of what I thought would carry over from the regular season was how tight the games would be. We saw almost exclusively one goal games as we talked about on the last podcast, um, six out of the eight and basically a seventh game uh, also was a one goal game during the regular season, but uh, turned out, you know, an empty net goal eight. So from that standpoint, that that's, and that's what we've gotten so far in these, uh, in these two games, I think maybe the surprise a little bit and maybe sh- shame on me for, for thinking this is just that we haven't seen as many goals so far that the goaltending has been really good. And we saw some open play during the regular season with these teams. We saw them trade a little bit, you know, chances wise, uh, you know, kind of get up and down back and forth. We haven't really seen that. I mean, there's been offense, you know, I would say obviously game one, that was not your typical zero zero game in terms of there was excitement and there were chances both ways and a lot of shots on goals or a lot of shots on goal, excuse me. Uh, but just the, the, the fact that, you know, the, the Knights had so much trouble breaking through until, until the game tonight, until game two. And it took them really halfway through uh, the game until, you know, second part of the second period to even, you know, see that breakthrough. So maybe that's just what I guess, you know, I've been a little surprised at is just how tight things have gotten defensively, not so much how close the games are, but just, you know, how, how Minnesota's just really bunkered down uh, to still that soccer phrase that I love. They've parked the bus uh, in a lot of ways and, and the goals have just been hard to come by. Yeah. It's been impressive to watch the effort that the wild have put into defending through the first two games of this series. I mean, every, single pass in the offensive zone for the Knights that's not just kind of, you know, on the outside around the boards or on the blue line is contested. I mean, every shot attempt is uh, contested and typically blocked. I mean, the Wild have blocked so many shots through these first two games. They really try to make it very easy on goaltender Cam Talbot, and uh, he has rewarded those efforts by also being very good. He had a 42-save shutout in Game 1. Tonight, his numbers are a little bit more shaky where it gave up um, three goals on only 28 shots face. But uh, the last goal that the Knights got in the final minute to finally make it a two-goal game, the first two-goal uh, lead of this series came when Talbot had just tried to go off um, for an extra attacker. So I think he was kind of a little frazzled where he thought he was supposed to be on the bench. And then the Knights had the puck and they were coming up the ice. So he got a quick scramble back. So I don't think he completely had his bearings. Um, he's been really good. And then Marc-Andre Fleury has just been absolutely outstanding. Uh, he was kind of the, you know, tough luck loser in game one where Talbot, Talbot just didn't give anything up. And Fleury finally gave up the first goal in overtime, but he made 29 saves that game. And then today, uh, Fleury wins was, was sensational because the Wilds were all over the Knights in the first period. They came out flying. They came out attacking. They came out really you know, intent on going up to nothing. They could kind of smell uh, themselves breaking through and really taking control of the series. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury didn't let them. He finished with 34 saves tonight, only gave up one goal allowed. Uh, I know we touched on this before in our preview pod 
Dave, but, um, you know, any surprise at all that Marc-Andre Fleury has started both of these games and just what have you thought of his performance as well? No, none, none in terms of surprise. I mean, that's how I would have done it. And I mean, what I think and what I'm reading from the situation with Pete DeBoer is he's going to continue to ride Marc-Andre Fleury until there's a reason not to. Um, they're playing every other day. So he's got rest and all of that. And it's it's interesting to see how within one game in a series, the way the narrative shifts and we go from all oh, the Knights, you know, they can't score and what are they going to do and how do they generate offense, you know, against Cam Talbot to, okay, well, now the Wild have played two games. They've scored one goal that bounced off Alec Martinez's skate in overtime and they scored a, they scored a goal today. Uh, against Mark Andre Fleury, and, and from it was basically Dumba from distance with a really good screen because Felino and uh, Haig, who that's about you know a combined six foot, what like twelve feet of like human or whatever. They're both like six six three and above. What six six for Haig, six three I think for Felino. So big screen in front of Fleury, and that's the, I mean that's the only offense the Wild have generated. So it's kind of funny that that from the night side, you know, we talk about you know how, how can they score and they they twelve goals in, in nine games in the playoffs and all that, and now all of a sudden it's it's how are the Wild going to beat Mark Andre Fleury <laughs> because he's played really well. He's doing snow angels at the start, you know, and he makes seventeen saves in the first period to basically hold the Knights in it. It was almost a 180 and the complete opposite from game one where the Knights threw the barrage at Cam Talbot and he kept them in it. And the longer it went, the longer it went, you know, the wild settled in kind of same thing tonight where even though the wild got the breakthrough once March or so was able to score and everybody was able to exhale you could just hear the relief basically, you know, coming out of the crowd and from the players as well. Um, but it, yeah, and it's so the Knights all of a sudden, everything's okay. They can score. They have three goals. Yeah, you know, we can we can beat Talbot. And 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 now it's like it's flurry in the wild's head. So it, it's just funny how within a series and with within, you know, one game, everything seems to flip like that. Yeah, it's just absolutely crazy. The, the momentum swings that just happen, you know, both within games, then within series. So we'll have to see, obviously, where this ends up taking us. But it is notable that at least through the first two games, the Wilds' only two goals have been scored by their top line, which is uh, left wing Jordan Greenway, center Ewell Erickson Eck, and right wing uh, Marcus Foligno, who we already mentioned. So, you know, the Wilds' kind of primary skill threats, which would be uh, Kirill Kaprizov, who is you know, the likely Calder Trophy winner for Rookie of the Year. He doesn't have a point so far in this series. He has five shots on goal. And then uh, Kevin Fiala, who scored 20 goals for the Wild this year, also doesn't have a point. He was incredible tonight in terms of generating opportunities, but he just hasn't finished any yet. Um, And I think we have to touch on, you know, and flip it over and go back to the Knights' offensive struggles a little bit because that, I think, was a key question heading into the playoffs. That certainly was on a lot of people's minds heading out of game one, which is, is this team going to be able to score when teams sell out to stop them in the playoffs and sell out to stop their rush chances, which we've really seen the Wild do. The Knights have not been able to pick up a lot of speed through the neutral zone and kind of create off the rush so far. And 
that's one of the reasons, especially in game one, that they weren't able to come up with a goal. As everyone that is listening to this podcast, I'm sure knows, offense was the main reason that the Knights lost in the postseason last year. They had a really good round robin. They had a really good first round series against the Chicago Blackhawks. And they had a really good first four games and their second round series against the Vancouver Canucks. And then a goaltender named Thatcher Demko entered the picture. And all of a sudden, the Knights stopped scoring. They ran into a really hot goaltender. And they've kind of admitted, uh, you know, in the uh, about not quite a year, you know, eight-ish, nine months that, you know, Demko really got in their head and it bothered them and they weren't able to recover. And that kind of bled into their next series against the Dallas Stars. And that's ultimately where they lost in five games. They scored only eight goals in those five games against the Stars. And the Stars went on to the Stanley Cup final and they lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, of course, in game one on Sunday, it seemed like it was more of the same for the Golden Knights where they weren't able to. Uh, generate a lot, especially after the first period where they came out really well. Cam Talbot kind of shut the door on them. And then from there, the Knights just seemed to get a little bit rattled. And you could kind of tell talking to them um, before the game today and then kind of at the, for their practice day yesterday that, you know, they knew that they needed to score a goal. And then, as you mentioned, uh, finally, the wild goal up. One nothing actually in the game today, and I think everyone in the building once that happens in the second period is probably thinking in the back of their heads, "Oh, it's one nothing. That might be enough for the Wild to uh, win this game as well." And all of a sudden, the Wild are up two zero in the series, and the series is going back to Minnesota, where the Knights have never won in regulation. You know, this is really bad. Well, it takes eighteen seconds after that goal, so people have scarcely have time to kind of form that thought. And Jonathan so goes down the other way, uh, beats Talbot to the top of the net. It's tied 1-1. All of a sudden, the crowd is in it for, you know, not the first time in the series because the crowd was very amped up at the beginning of the games. But, you know, the first time you really feel that energy and you feel that energy bleed onto the ice in terms of the Knights then had a couple good shifts after that. Um, so you mentioned Dave Pete DeVore kind of said, you know, it was a weight off our shoulders. Um, he also mentioned, you know, he thought the team was actually playing tentative early in this game which i think was very interesting you know and he also brought up you know he just sensed that they were a different team once they got that first goal how much do you think that breakthrough meant to the team and how much could it mean going forward here i mean is it too much to call it a season saver i i don't know i it's or at least a series saver i Maybe it's hyperbole, maybe not. I mean, I was trying to, as you were talking, I was trying to think back to other playoff series and, you know, a goal that turned everything, a goal that the Knights sort of needed because this one just felt more than anything. Like they just needed it. It, it It's that, it, I mean, it's such a cliche, but, you know, the dam breaking and, and all of that, but you could feel the tension in that building. And and even before the Wild scored, just the longer that it stayed zero zero, and you know they Jonathan Marshall, like you talk about, it, he made a declaration basically, 
you know, after the morning skate that they needed to play in front. They needed the lead after the first period and they didn't get it. And not only did they not get it, they got pretty badly outplayed in the first period. So psychologically, that had to be a blow to them. You know, that they set a big goal, they verbalized it, and they didn't come close to achieving it. The good thing for him was Marc-Andre Fleury kept it 0-0. And sort of as we just talked about a few minutes ago, they were able to settle in and, you know, sort of do what the Wild did. But had that gone any longer at one nothing, and the anxiety continued to build and the murmurs, you know, continue to, you know, rumble throughout T-Mobile Arena and everybody could feel it. I, when we were walking out, I told you it, it felt like SAP Center. It felt like the Sharks building. And the reason I say that is because when I lived up there and I used to go to games and then covering games, that fan base and that building has this very like weird nervous energy that they're always expecting something bad to happen. And they just, you know, no matter what, you know, the, the worst and the pessimistic and, and all of that. It's very interesting they just don't seem to feel comfortable in a zero zero game, the fans, the team and, and all of that. So for that to have gone 18 seconds at one, nothing. And for them to everybody just go, ha, ah, okay, it's fine. We can do this. It was huge. And, and I don't know that it can really be overstated depending on the outcome of this series. air conditioning and heating our comfort specialist can handle any ac repair call 855 one hour for 50 dollars off your repair or visit onehourair.com terms and conditions may apply independently owned and operated licensed in their respective state or county your time is valuable so we've built a seven minute non-stop newscast that fits into your daily routine i'm jen ah seven at seven keeps you informed anytime anywhere look for top stories weather sports and sports betting, business, lifestyle, and entertainment. Get every bit of local news you need in seven minutes. Watch 7 at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Streaming nonstop 24-7 from the Las Vegas Review-Journal on your mobile or smart TV. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Yeah, we'll have to see whether the Knights are kind of able to build on that momentum. Once they get into Minnesota, as we've talked about before, uh, it's obviously a place they haven't had a lot of success. Um, But we also should touch on one reason why the Knights have had trouble scoring goals, at least, early on in the series before they got um, that breakthrough from Jonathan Marsh. So, and that's the fact that their leading goal scorer has yet to play in this series. Uh, Max Pacioretty, as people might remember, this is the final six regular season games with an undisclosed injury. He has now missed each of the night's first two playoff games. Uh, Pete DeBoer yesterday kind of called him day to day. He kind of insisted, Hey, I'm not lying. When I call him day to day, I really believe that I really believe he's improving. Um, but I don't know, you know, exactly when he's going to play for us again. We haven't seen Patch skate with the Knights 
you know, in this time, he was not at the team's optional morning skate uh, this morning before the game. He obviously didn't then warm up before the game. Um, doesn't sound like the team is practicing tomorrow, so we probably won't have a good read on what his availability is for game three until maybe the morning skate in Minnesota on Thursday. But how much does Patrick's absence and potentially prolonged absence, because we still don't have a definite return date, you know, loom over this series, Dave? And how much does it, you know, hurt the Knights' chances if, you know, he's not going to be in the lineup? Well, we clearly saw it in game one that I feel like it hurt their chances. I feel like we saw the effect of him not being in there for, you know, probably 32 plus minutes until the Knights scored. I don't think it becomes an issue as long as the Knights continue to generate chances and score goals in this series. Once they go through another stretch here, if if it happens where Cam Talbot starts to kick everything away and the Knights go through another, you know, five goals in four games or, or some kind of deal like that, if it costs them in this series, you know, in the end, then yeah, absolutely. Uh, for one game, Alex Tuck and, and his spot on the first line seemed to work. And I think I mentioned early in the game when Mark Stone had one shot attempt after being held to one shot on goal in game one, that Pete DeBoer just, no matter what buttons he pushes right now, it's just not clicking. It's not working. Well, you know, all of a sudden, Jonathan Marksdale scores and Yan Mark makes a you know great play to dig a puck out behind the net and center for Tuck. And then, excuse me, Tuck is able to, uh, you know, tap home a, a Chandler Stevenson pass on a late, you know, power play. And like you talked about, you know, Talbot was a little, you know, a little scrambly and probably not, you know, totally set there. Um, just, you know, mentally and, and all that as well. Um, but it seemed to work. It seemed to get them going. I think at this point, the guy that I think the, the effect of all of this has on with Max Petrotti being out is on Mark Stone. And your leading score during the regular season. And he got a secondary assist on... Uh, Alex Tuck's second goal, but he's just not been effective. And so to have your best player, you know, effectively neutralized, the Knights have done it to Kaprizov, but, you know, in turn, the Wild have have done a good job shutting down Mark Stone. And, and so until that is able to reverse and, you know, if it takes Max Pacioretty coming back or, Mark Stone just developing some some quick instant chemistry with Alex Tuck to go with Chandler Stevens. Whatever it might be, uh, the longer it goes with Patrick being out and them struggling offensively, the more it becomes, you know, a talking point. I guess in this series, even even more so than it already is. Yeah, and the Tuck moving up to that line is interesting because, of course, that wasn't Pete DeBoer's first instinct. The Knights actually started Game One with Tomas Nosek on the left wing uh, with Chandler Stevenson and Mark Stone and uh, Pete DeBoer, basically his explanation after the game was he wanted to match the Wilds' depth. Because if you guys have listened to the preview pod that Dave and I did for this playoff series, you know, we kind of talked about how the Knights don't necessarily have the top-end skill and talent that the Knights do when they're fully healthy, but the Wild do have 
depth. And even their fourth line has guys that are capable of scoring a decent number of goals on it. And so Pete DeBoer kind of admitted like, Hey, my first instinct was to leave Alex Tuck on that third line because I wanted to make sure, you know, we had some good players on their third line so we could match their third line, which, um, as I mentioned before, has Kevin Fiala, who's a 20 goal scorer and was probably, you know, the wild's most dangerous forward tonight. And so that'll be something, especially to watch moving forward here. Now that uh, the Knights are no longer going to have last change, that'll shift to the wild and the wild will be able to dictate the matchups a little bit more easily. I would have to imagine that the wild are going to focus even more resources on slowing down Mark Stone and that top line. Uh, now that they have last change, uh, Ewell Erickson Eck, their number one center, is an incredible defensive center. He's probably going to get silky trophy votes this year. And his trio with uh, Greenway and Felino is one of the league's best shutdown lines. Typically, when the Knights play the Wild at XL Energy Center, you know, Erickson Eck gets that matchup where he spends most of his five on five time against Stone's line to kind of shut them down. And so that's going to be a lot easier for the Wild to do at home with last change. So if you have to leave Tuck up on that top unit, if patch ready is still hurt, then all of a sudden that makes it a little bit easier for the wild to try to neutralize two of your best forwards. If you're the golden Knights and the wild will then, you know, try to rely on their depth to create more scoring, which to be fair, Minnesota hasn't had that yet because the Ewell Erickson neck line is the only line that's scored so far for the Minnesota wild. But that's, I think something to watch moving forward here, Dave, is can the Knights get enough scoring depth beyond just obviously that Markson top line to hang with this wild team? Because we've seen, saw the top six have a really good night tonight, but sooner or later the Knights are going to need, you know, the third line and the fourth line to do some positive things in this series. Not a ton, you know, it's not, they don't need to like pour in a goal a game or whatever, but they're going to need some secondary scoring, especially in Minnesota to at least, you know, get the split and kind of regain home ice advantage in this series. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, they need, you always need somebody to kind of step up in a playoff series down in the lineup that, you know, pumps in goals. I know that first year, if I remember right, it was Alex Tuck. Like he had a really good playoff and I think they got like eight or nine goals out of him in the postseason. that, you know, you need somebody like that. I'm going to date myself because this is the name that always comes to mind. But there was one year with the Capitals and a guy named John Druce, and he got a hot stick and just, you know, for whatever reason on the deep run, this guy like, you know, had a bunch of, a bunch of key goals. Um, the Penguins a few years ago had that, uh, like the HBK line, right? With uh, Bonino and it was Phil Kessel and um, was it Horn? I'm, it slipped in my mind um, who the uh, who the third member, but you, yeah, Believe it was, was Hagelin. There you go. There you go. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's what you need in a playoff. You need, you know, kind of unsung guys um, down the lineup, whoever it might be, you know, to do that. But I'm going to flip this around a little bit is they need their stars to be stars as well. I like watching some of these other playoff series, you know, and Boston, you know, Marsh on scoring game winners. You know, you watch Tampa and it's Kucherov and Stamkos and Braden Point. Like, yeah, you talk about, you know, the depth of all these teams and whatever, but it's because their best players are the best guys on the ice at the time that they have to be. 
And so some of this, you know, we just talked about Mark Stone and whatever, you know, the March so goal was huge because I think that line needs to score. That misfit line needs to start producing if Max, Max Pacioretty is going to be out for any consistent time. They're going to have to pick up some of that slack. And, and Mark Stone's going to have to figure out a way to produce here. Chandler Stevenson, you know, same thing. So, yeah, yeah, as much as they're going to need that, you know, down the lineup, you know, somebody to get going and, and somebody to produce and match that depth and balance – that the wild have at some point in a playoff series to me, it's about your best players, you know, taking over and, you know, we're kind of, we're two games in here, you know, we're, we're still waiting to, to see the, you know, how this, how this shakes out sort of the identity of this series, you know, and, and it feels like we're waiting for like Kaprizov and stone and, you know, some of the best players here in the series to really take over you know, right now it's been flurry. He's been, he's been the best player for the night so far. Yeah. And I don't think that's even in question. Well, it's certainly been entertaining so far. Um, as we touched on at the top of the show is one, one after two games, after the golden Knights defeated the Minnesota wild three, one tonight, uh, Tuesday, the series will now shift to Minnesota where the two teams will play a uh, game three on Thursday and then game four, on Saturday, and then we'll, of course, have to see where the series goes from there. We know that we'll have a Game 5 now officially at a time to be determined on Monday. Anything after that is still very much up in the air. Uh, quick, before we get out of here, Dave, uh, has anything uh, that's happened in these first two games, I guess, you know, changed your opinion on this series or how you see the outcome ultimately shaken well, out. I think I was dumb enough to pick Knights and five. And I think mathematically that's still possible, but you know, I don't really think that's going to happen. So I think maybe what's changed is it's probably a six to seven game series from the looks of things, unless all of a sudden, you know, somebody's offense um, really kicks in. But I, you know, I, I just, I think it's been, tougher and it's going to be tougher than the Knights. maybe not expected, but wanted, you know, they, they busted their butt to try to get that top seed. And all of a sudden they're in a dog fight right now against a team that I don't know that they match up very well against. And it's just kind of, it's been interesting and, and, you know, sort of enlightening to watch the Knights, you know, try to try to fight their way through a team that's just very comfortable playing zero zero for sure. And meanwhile, uh, on the other side of the West division, uh, Colorado already has a one, nothing lead on St. Louis after winning four, one yesterday. And Jordan Bennington had to be fantastic just to keep the scoreline, uh, that quote unquote close. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the golden edge podcast. As a reminder, this podcast is sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning. We are presented by Blue Wire Podcast. Uh, please check out our written work at ReviewJournal.com. We've got these playoffs covered very, very well. And of course, if you guys could uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcast, please do this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, that's Dave Shane. I'm Ben Coates. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. We'll talk to you guys again real soon.
Let One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist, can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time or you don't pay time. Terms and conditions may apply independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.